Welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin' Pauline Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are excited to be with you on a beautiful Tuesday morning here. And uh, how are we doing? I am excited, but I'm also a little sad. I just got the email about my NFL survivor pool, and I thought mm. I would double my chances this year and do two entries. Um. The Bengals and Titans both lost. I'm done after one week of the survivor pool. You went Titans? I, I never I never go road teams in, in early in the season. Um and the Titans and the, the Bengals were the biggest home favorites. Steelers were my best bet against the spread. I thought that was a lock, but I really did think the Bengals were gonna win. So dumb me. Uh I oh I I'm not going to get in the Titans, but I still <laughs> stand by the fact that I just it just feels like bad things are about to happen in Tennessee, and maybe that was the start yeah. of it. We, well, we're, but this is not a Titans podcast, no. and, and nor is it for us to bemoan Jay's failures and how <laughs> side pools have gone sideways. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, and uh, we're we're going to get into. Of course, the state of the Bengals offensive line. Yay, right? Like we <laughs> we we never talk about it enough. It's like it really needs to be its own standing thing at this point. It pretty much will be probably until everybody feels like it's fixed. But I think there's um there's actually there's new stuff has come to light. There's there's a lot of new information, I think, uh, with Sunday's game. And and I think the Bengals uh, coaching staff's reaction to it is is interesting and uh, worth diving further into, which I have done in a piece that will be up in a little bit later today. Um, but we can talk about that here. So there's a lot of fun offensive line conversation, which is just on brand uh, with with, you know, following the Bengals at this point. New and improved offensive line. So they Alleg- say. Allegedly. <laughs> so special teams. Uh, also, how is special teams going forward? What is the assessment of what the heck went wrong? A uh, lot to get to there. We'll do that. Mo Egger will join us, of course. Uh, we will bring in our best bets with him uh, and talk a little bit about long-range concerns. Big. What is the big picture concern that he has to take away? And then we'll talk about that. We'll have our Arby's. Any related Bengals insight, extras, and stories, uh, we will bring in your questions. Thanks, everybody that's watching on YouTube. Uh, what's going on? Um, good to see you over there. If you want to have anything you want to drop into the comments, please do. If you have questions, we'll get to some at the end. So if you have questions that you want us to answer, just drop them into the comments section, and we will do a little Q&A at the end of the podcast. Uh, and you never know. Maybe we'll spark the idea that we had yesterday, which is the I have no shame segment of Jay Morrison telling a story <laughs> from his 20s or 30s or 40s, or maybe it happened last I, week. I have a no shame Bengals Steelers story, actually. So I, I think oh. I've told it before, but um, we, we can revisit it. Well, then we will. So stick around to the end of the podcast <laughs> for Joe, for Jay's I have no shame Bengals Steelers story, which I'm I'm here for any time those pop up. All right, uh, let's start off with a little bit of news, real quick. Uh, not a ton of news. Uh, Clark Harris to the IR, which was expected. Cal Adamitis up from the PS, which is what was expected. You know, the competition between Cal and Clark uh, was tight. 
through most of camp and we still we didn't know for sure until the end uh whether they were going to uh who was going to win it uh ended up being clark harris but that is over now um it is the the torn bicep on on clark harris he's uh he says he's not retiring uh no, this is not going to be the end for him. Clark has has admitted to me he wants to be the oldest player in the NFL, and I want to see it happen for him because that's just a cool goal to have. He also wanted to be he also wanted to lead the league in the person that downs the ball when a punt just rolls <laughs> and sits there the most. Um, so he won't be able to get that this year, but he can plot ways to make sure he gets it next year if he ever runs downfield again. The only way that's going to happen is if he does retire and invents a site that keeps that stat, because I don't know of any site that keeps that stat. And he'll have to do. That's amazing. I can't believe there's a single place that doesn't, because every stat is somewhere. These <laughs> I've not. I've yet to find it. Okay. Well, we we need to. That's out to all of you. I mean, look, we we had someone that made a Mo's tweets count wizard right so <laughs> yeah. why can't someone do a who down the ball when it came to a standstill the most that's what i want to know um uh t higgins in concussion protocol no change there we'll see whether he comes back this weekend or not um zach taylor talked uh, had a press conference yesterday talked a little bit about some play calling regrets and decisions jay you kind of chronicled a lot of that stuff in your final thoughts today what did you know what, what was what did you think about uh zach kind of bemoaning a little bit about a little bit more of the details of how the non-challenge of the chase touchdown on the goal line uh went down i yeah i mean he he was asked if there was if the one thing that he wishes he would have done different and, and he that's what he pointed to and it's it's not it's not like the uh last year's opener where He's been very candid about um, going forward on fourth and one at his own 30. It almost cost the team the game. I, I still think he's it, – it's a it's a hindsight regret because he, in the moment, I don't know um, how much more he could have done there. It's that they were very – maybe this is Alta Fiber's fault, that everything was slow, <laughs> everything was screwed up. But there was no – there were no replays. And you've got to get that in so fast – um, the only one they showed, you couldn't, you couldn't really see, um, you got everybody on the other side, Steelers, obviously signaling incomplete. So his, his thought process was, wasn't more get down and attack. It was why wait and let the Steelers challenge it. And maybe it's incomplete at, at that point, And when you don't have the replays to go on, he's right. That, that corner is the worst place for him to see what actually happened live, because not only is it the furthest point away, but you've also got everybody standing in front of you. He just didn't have a, a clear view of it with his own eyes, and the the replays were no help. So, and, and I, I, not to defend him, but I hear a lot of people saying it cost him the game. I don't get where that comes from because they score there, they tie the game. Presumably the extra point plays out the same way. What makes you think it wouldn't? So then you're tied and then the Steelers have the ball with a chance to to go down and and win the game as opposed to just trying to run out the clock. And if it if that doesn't happen, then who knows how much time the Bengals have if they have time to get down and get that that chase touchdown at the end or if it goes to overtime, then you have to assume that plays out the same way. So it, it could have cost him the game, but to, to say it definitively cost them the game is not right. No, it was 
reference the first response to you tweeting something out about it was fireable offense. I just <laughs> come on, man. Come on. I mean, look, it's a, I I'm with you. Like in that we were saying the same thing. Like, did he catch it? That we in the press box live. We're watching it. Our angle is barely better than what they maybe better than what they had on the field and the coaches up in the box are seeing the same thing. The coaches, they don't get replays that you don't get at home. We were we were in third we were in third down or second down of that series before we first saw the replay that showed that the chase got the ball in. I mean, they it mm. didn't they didn't get that thing up in you know immediately at all. And the worry was maybe it was incomplete. You're trying to kind of decipher all of that. Yeah, I think you you get up there and, and settle in once you have a better feel. But look, the concept of of that being a fire. I, I I mean, look, yeah. come on. I mean, what do you, what what are we what are we doing? What are we doing? Nathaniel uh, Hackett was a fireball offense, <laughs> which which I have a run past. I have a, I have a question on that. Uh, okay, w- w- in a minute. Um, I want to. We'll get to that a little bit. Um, could you fire somebody for making that decision in his first game? No, I mean, but. but- Maybe if this was maybe if this was week eighteen and they were uh, you know five and eleven or something like that. You put um, him on probation. Yeah, uh, this weekend. Hello, friends. Uh, Nansen Romo and Tracy Wolfson on the call uh, for you. That and uh, Bengals will be in black, black, orange socks. Always exciting to know about what the uniform combination is going to be. Um, that's how newsy it is right now. There's lots that you know. Without diving into just rehashing the game, which we've now done twice, uh, we don't want to do that too much. We want to try to try to peel it forward now, which is why uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the offensive line. Um, so there's kind of this the instant reaction I think that we all had, and and a lot of people had um, was seven sacks, a lot of pressure. Uh, new line, same as the old line, and and I and I think that there's a core of that that certainly is true. What's been interesting is listening to Zach Taylor. I talked with Brian Callahan yesterday. Talk about they came away from this far more encouraged than discouraged with the direction of the offensive line. Now, there's a certain element of you're going to say you that is the way that you want to feel, um, but. You know, the the point being that just talking about sacks or whatever, um, there's a lot more nuance to it when you look at who was at fault on the sacks, how they happened, and then the sheer volume and the competition of who they were going against changes some things and, and makes them a little more interesting. I'm going to first, before we get started here, bring in this clip from Zach Taylor at his press conference yesterday, talking a little bit about assessing the offensive line. What were your impressions of the offensive line, particularly the pass blocking? You know what, I, I mean, people are going to write the stories about the sacks because we had a lot of them, and until we don't have them, that should be the story. You know, I, I get it. That's part of it. Um, but I thought the offensive line did a nice job. You know, you look at six sacks, uh, everybody's involved. You know, some of them are, are free rushers that aren't their responsibility sometimes it's the back sometimes the quarterback sometimes it's the line so sometimes it's me putting us in a bad position so um, again we got to get it cleaned up to where, where we're not taking six sacks in a game but uh, I thought that they showed some really encouraging things that we know it's a good defensive line we know it's a good defense they pressure a lot they got good guys that can pressure and uh, I thought that they gave us a chance to win and it's something to build off of and, and continue to improve there how much did you along those lines see them 
ascend even over the course of the game? Did you feel like once they kind of got a few drives under their belts, you saw the level go up even? You know, not really. Um, I, I, I thought from the jump, you know, the, the first one is a tough matchup on the first play of the game. The play got extended a little bit, and, and uh, that's a tough go of it for, for Cordell there. Um, and then from there, you know, I, I thought guys really settled in pretty quick. You know, there's there's about a one-off maybe at each spot over the course of the game, but but I wouldn't say that it was a, a um, settling in. I thought those guys, uh, a lot of them played pretty good from the get-go. Sound Joe Mixon's the big explosive run, what – what happened there to make that successful, and how do yeah. you guys get more of those? Yep, really good scheme by Frank. You know, that was that was Frank's kind of short yardage concept that he liked against that look. Um, really good. It, it was it was well executed by everybody up front. Um, I think LC and and Drew Sample primarily were at the point of attack there. Drew Sample had a heck of a block. You know, on the back backer kind of plugging through through the B gap. Drew did a great job. Um, LC did a great job. They created a nice hole there for Joe, and then Joe did a good job finishing the run inside the five yard line. So. Um, really well designed play by Frank and, and uh, really well executed by the guys up front. Kind of piggyback on Kelsey's run question. I mean, that long run was nice, but the rest of them, you're under two yards per carry. I mean, is that a disappointing aspect of yesterday that you weren't able to get more in the rest of the run game? Yeah, you know, they, it was they, they pressured a lot of our run looks. They, they, they do a good job up front, too. And there, there was some four-yard runs that we feel confident as we continue to go and clean some things up are going to be bigger. They're going to be six to eight to ten. Um, so there, there was just some details of the things to finish off some of those runs uh, that we feel like we can continue to improve on. So not discouraged. They, they traditionally have been a difficult front to, to run against. Um, last year they were down some personnel quite a bit, and so that, that led to some of their, their issues they had in the run game. But what we always look at Pittsburgh as a really stout run defense that um, you're just going to have to commit to it and keep grinding it out and hoping that you hit those big runs like we did on the duo. And um, So, again, just I got confidence in our guys that we'll continue to, to pound it and get it done. So, that's just, so I guess that's just a chemistry thing, right? Chemistry between Mixon and the line, kind of their first game really together, all the new pieces. Is that kind of it, It's a little bit like the sacks. You can say it's, you can point to a different on each one. Man, if this, yeah. this one player had done this one thing for just a tick longer, we, we'd had a couple more yards, and then you move on to the next play, and it's the, it's the same thing for the next guy. So that, that's just um, – that's not unique to us. You know, I think you see a lot of teams, you take out their biggest run of the game and you're going to say that their their run per attempt was low. <laughs> that's that's always the argument that I love to make and everybody loves to make. You know, look how many yards we rush for and then you'll throw, well, we had an 80-yard run. So, um, you know, whatever game you want to play, I'm confident that we'll, we'll the run game will be something that we can lean on as the season goes. It's easy at first glance to look at Cordell Bolson. <laughs> losing in matchups against Cam Hayward and trying to make a decision on what he is. But how much do you factor in that Cam Hayward is probably one of the best defensive yep. linemen? And how, from your evaluation, minus the sacks that he led up against Cam, how did you think Cordell did? I, I thought Cordell showed um, some real potential in that game. Again, his last two non-Bengals opponents have been two Hall of Famers, and Aaron Donald and Cam Hayward. And that's not the ideal way to start your career. I, I saw some really good things from him, really encouraging things. He hung with it over the course of the game. Um, you know, so really, really, really encouraged by the job that Cordell did, and he's only going to continue to get better. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. So I, I think when when that was said, you know, 
Zach Taylor answering questions about the offensive line there, and particularly even saying that they didn't even think that was a settling in thing because they did clearly get better as the game went along and they made some adjustments. Um, I took people back. Oh, it's, we're this. You're saying it went well, right? And and I think here's Jay. Let me let me quiz you on this. Okay. Uh, yesterday or excuse me, Sunday feels like yesterday. Um, the Bengals ranked 27th in the league this weekend in in sack percentage. So percentage of dropbacks in the sack, which is 11.7%. Important to note that when they're just in such a crazy volume, you can't just throw, you know, volume numbers out there. Um, so 27th. So they weren't even the worst, <laughs> which, you know, there's some squads out there. You might want to go check their tape. Uh, but... 27 in sack percentage. What you th- do you think they were in pressure percentage rank? How many of their dropbacks, what per- where did they rank in the amount of their dropbacks were, were were pressured? Okay, so it would be 26 of 94. So that's what, about 29, 30%? Uh, I don't know. 18th, 19th? 10th. Wow. That's that's for the whole game. 29.2% is 10th in the league. Throw out the first quarter, 6th best pressure percentage rate. Yeah. As a, the again, this is from last year, right? This is a part of last year. Such a high percentage of pressures are being converted into sacks. You know, you have you have Burrow who likes to try to extend plays. You you have some. So when when guys are getting back there, they are getting to him uh, often. That that was part of what happened with the sacks yesterday. But but as a whole, of how many how many you know clean pockets, mm-hmm. lack of disruption in what they were actually doing. You're talking once once they settled down sixth and general tenth. You know, if you if you would have just thrown those numbers out there, and I know everybody, you're, people are going to say, "Oh, you can find a number anywhere." Okay, there's lots. I mean, whatever. No, it's true. But I mean, give give you a high percentage of burrow clean pockets without a pressure, and I think you're happy. And and that's not saying that the Bengals should be happy with this. And I think that's part of what Zach Taylor was saying there was like, you know, you, obviously you don't want to have the mace actually You got to clean it up. But as a whole, you know. Especially when you consider that maybe maybe half, a little over half of the sacks were even on the offensive line in their view, um, you end up coming away saying, you know, that wasn't as bad as um, as maybe it felt in the moment. Well, it's a great point because they ran ninety four plays. I mean, w- w- normally you're in the sixty range, and um, it. I, you're running 50% more plays. So the, that, that number does look higher. And I was actually going to make a quip coming off of that. Well, you, you off of the Zach comp after the, the Zach clip where, you know, you're giving up too many sacks when you lose track of how many you're giving up. Cause he said six twice and they actually gave up. Well, that he's cause they don't count the one, one on the, O-line. they don't count one where it was a zero yeah. gain where Burrow just slid down. That, that, yes. That's just part of my, I and mean, that's part of the point. Every, seven sacks, seven sacks. Mm-hmm. When you really tick through them, I mean, you have that one, which is literally a, a check ball where they're just throwing Jamar chase is standing with no one within 10 yards of him as the, as the mm-hmm. hot in case the slot blitz comes down, slot blitz, blitz comes down, comes free. Burrow just, bobbles the ball a little bit and does yeah. so he can't throw it to him wide open by the time he avoids the blitzer well 
you know, they've already come up on Chase seeing where that thing was going. So he takes a step forward and just kind of slides down. I mean, that's not on the offensive line, right? That's that's not, and is a, it's a, a sack, but they're not going to count it. It's, it's a zero gain. It's one that wasn't really about the pass rush or anything like that. It's not really a sack. You know, you have the the opening play of the game. Um, you know, it's, it's a quick, it's a quick game. Let me just tell you this. You guys can think what you want to about the Bengals' offensive game plan. It was not to force Cordell Volson to go one-on-one against Cam Hayward for three seconds on the first play of the game. Okay? Like, that was not how they plotted it. That's not a good plan. That was was a ball that got held uh, longer than it should have. That was supposed to be a quick shot. That was not the plan for that to be what was supposed to happen. And and, uh, the quick shot was wide open. T. Higgins coming over on the the slant. So that's, you know, that's not, um, like, like Zach Taylor said, that play got extended. That's not that they're not putting that on the O line. It got extended. It's, mm-hmm. That's not what it was supposed to be, um, you know. And and th- again, and there's plenty of times where they weren't great, right? Um, but once they once they figured out, you know, the the not just what the Steelers were doing, but under just really recognizing what they need to be doing, take the checkdowns. Throw the quick hits, throw underneath, like just stop looking downfield trying to make everything. Once they did that and started just throwing those, they moved the ball consistently. The pressures were far down. Everything was really in rhythm, and it really didn't take on. That's how you end up with, you know, they they have the almost all the major damage happened in the first quarter. You know, I mean, I mean, that that was it. After that, you know, everything really was like, okay, get settled back in into. See what they're trying to do to you. Stop trying to push it. Just take. They're gonna give you. They're gonna give you the underneath stuff all day long. Go back and look at the interception, the pick six to make it Fitzpatrick on the second play. I mean, T. Higgins is just running underneath on a slant without anybody anywhere near him, right in front of Burrow's eyesight. That's that's his read, and the ball ends up going out trying to trying to fit it in deep and it's like well just when you start taking the underneath stuff and after that he did over and over and over again and that's mm-hmm. how he ended up having such a big day once they finally got past the early stuff was just man just just killing them on all that underneath stuff so you know i think they came away feeling like look once they started doing that and late in the game when they had to protect they did mm-hmm. that it was. It's not as bad as when you hear, seven sacks. The line sucks again, right? <laughs> I mean, sorry to yell, but I mean, yes, there is definitely some validity to that. But the the other side of it is, anytime you take seven, even though the percentage is low, it's you're you're talking about mounting damage on your quarterback, and this is how they're going to be winning games this year, playing games this year, where if teams are going to take away the deep shot, they're going to need longer eight, nine, 10 play drives to score instead of hitting those, those big shots over the top. So there's, there's going to be more opportunities for Burrow to get hit. And, you know, you talk about the pressure that the, the, the maybe the more concerning thing here, and I, I don't think it's, you, you need to put up the red flag. I don't know if you want to wave the red flag, but, Joe Burrow lives in the inter- intermediate range of the pass. That is where he is at his best. And on passes of 10 to 20 yards against the Steelers, he was 6 of 13 for 110 yards and two interceptions, a 36.2 passer rating. 
he was only pressured on three of those 13 throws. That's where uh, I, I that, that's almost more alarming than the the sacks. Even though you don't expect it to continue, you you wonder was it was it the rust uh, from not playing the preseason? Is he is it a hangover from the appendectomy? Uh, that those were that was a really concerning number because that is where he thrives. Yeah, you know, you had the you know the the deep the deep middle shot. I guess they're counting the I guess the t- was the Burrow to Boyd shot that Sutton picked off inside twenty. Was they they were counting that as a, in in that intermediate range. Otherwise, I'm trying to pick the other. Which one would have been the two picks in between ten and twenty yards? Because it wasn't the Watt, right? No, the Watt one. There was a deep one. There was the Watt there, one at the line, and then there, there was the two intermediates. And I don't. I guess it would be the, Minka, the Sutton and the Witherspoon. Minka, up Minka is the middle. I mean, the the, the fourth down one. I, I don't know. Fourth down is them trying to fit a ball. I don't. Yeah. I mean, it's fourth down. You're just you're just trying to shove something in there. They're with, with even whether there's nothing or not. I don't I, I don't know that I'm even counting that against Burrow. I guess I've I've kind of left it out of my mind. I I I get it. Like I I don't think that there's gonna be. This is not anybody declaring success, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but I do think that once everybody settled down and kind of got into the rhythm of the game against a really really good defense with two Hall of Famers going against, you know, your weaker links on the day in Lel Collins and, and Cornell Volson. Although Jonah Williams certainly had his rough moments with Alex Highsmith. Um they they moved they moved the ball. Goal line, red zone we can talk all day about, but the PFF had four of the five guys with pass protection grades of seventy four plus. Um, which would be top fifty out of the hundred and fifty qualifying offensive lineman from this weekend. I mean, only only Collins was under that. And they had Karras with a clean slate. Perfect mm-hmm. game as far as any pressures allowed in the 84 grade. I mean, Karras was really good. Kappa was definitely solid. Um, and and Volson, you know, had his rough moments with Cam Hayward without question. But, you know, as Zach Taylor pointed out, he's had two real tests so far. Yeah. <laughs> They've been against Aaron Donald and Cameron Hayward. Like, and other than that, it was the insurance salesman he played in the preseason. (laughs) There is a middle ground, right? Like where we can get a better judgment on Cordell Volson, but they came away really encouraged uh, with Volson there too. So, uh, a lot of things to get to. Let's, um, Jay, you've got stats, and then we're gonna bring uh, bring Mo into the into the room here in a second. Jay, what do you what do you got? Offensive line stats. Okay, I was I was curious to look uh, how many consecutive games the Bengals have given up at least one sack, and this is counting playoffs, and it, it's 19. The last time they didn't was week three last year against the Steelers when they snapped the Steelers' streak of consecutive games with the sack. Uh, so just total irony there in a season when they gave up 70 of them. Um, so then I was curious, where, where does 19 games in a row giving up a sack rank? And it's not all that. It's it's the seventh longest in franchise history. The record is 42 uh, from 97 to 99. So then I was curious where it ranks in terms of the longest active streak in the NFL. Again, seventh. <laughs> the Jets are 53. It's the sixth longest in NFL history. And the Jets, oh, by the way, right around the corner, 
uh, after the Bengals play the Cowboys. So you're going to have uh, conceivably a Jets team riding a 54-game streak and a Bengals team riding a 20-game streak. Um, it's just amazing. The longest active by far is the Jets at 53. The next longest is the Bears at 29. Um, so it's it, it's not unheard of, but it is still a, a pretty substantial streak of, of at least a 19 in a row with at least one sack allowed. Love it. Let's do a quick sponsor break and we'll come back with uh, ESPN 1530's Moeger. I feel like I've done a shot of liquid death when I was at the University of Dayton taking a visit one time. And Mo, you probably did it with me while you were there. (laughs) (laughs) There's a a very strong likelihood. You can, they serve it. Uh, How are you doing? I'm good. What's going on, guys? Uh, Not a a whole lot. Good to, good to have you here. Um, So we have uh we count have we got the tweet counter Jay have yeah. you have you worked the tweet counter I up? I tweeted during the game more often than I usually do. I'm usually not a big in-game tweeter guy, but I was kind of feeling it. Oh look at this! Look Somebody at this. made this. No, we wow. didn't. We would we would never have gone so far as to make <laughs> this. Someone that oh, listens my. to the show made this. They took the time to put your face on it and <laughs> wow. everything. So the tweet counter has its own graphic now here. So shout out to everyone watching on YouTube. You get this of Mo next to Mo. What what do we got, Jay? I'm, I can't even read this. It, it's Jay Goni, the one that. Uh, uh, originally made the counter um it, it had the graphic on it it's 128 so he's down 10 from last week's 138 okay mm. down 10 surprise mm. but that's okay still a big number uh yeah. and plenty to tweet about and mostly uh you know i always look forward to your summation tweet that comes at the end of games sometimes it's very therapeutic sometimes it's uh Strictly angry. Sometimes it's angry. Uh, Sometimes it's based in comedy. Uh, And and this one, I think, you know, I was looking for what what my what my question has been over the last couple of days is everybody can have individual concerns about ways certain aspects of Sunday were handled, unfolded um, in a game that you felt like you certainly should have won. And we, Lord knows, can beat the preseason snaps thing into the ground. Um, what was your biggest long range, big picture concern for you coming out of what we saw in the season opener? They've got to pass block better. I mean, you could do the whole preseason thing. Well, they should. Okay, fine. Um, that worry about that next August. Let's revisit that next summer. Should they change the preseason approach? I'm not really sure they should based on one bad preseason or one bad regular season opener, but that's, that's a question for next summer. I want to know how are they going to block? Micah Parsons on Sunday. So I want to know how they're going to protect Joe Burrow over the course of the season, because I think we all agree the offensive line is going to coalesce. Uh, Cordell Volson's going to grow into the role. The guys are going to block better. But like when, when, when are we going to get to a point where we're like, you know what, this group is okay. Um, And because if, if the answer isn't for a few weeks, I wonder how much is that going to compromise their chances of, 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 of being as good as we think they could be. So that from, a 30,000 foot view. It's the same question we had last week. And it's, it's not about preseason prep. It's just about, okay, now moving forward, when is this offensive line going to consistently perform at a level that makes you feel pretty good about what they could accomplish offensively. Aside from that, um, you know, and, and my, you know, tweet after the game was, I still think this team has a really high ceiling. Um, I don't think there's any reason to not feel that way. I'm going to guess Joe Burrow doesn't have any more four interception games. 
offensively they were as janky as you could expect. And if they had their normal long snapper, they would have won the game. And today we'd be talking about how they gutted one out and the heart and resiliency of those Bengals. Instead, things went the other way. Um, I, I will say this, that it is a little bit sobering that, the, the, you know, we, we sort of put the Bengals in this tier with Kansas City and Buffalo and Baltimore and uh, us like legitimate, you know, bona fide title contenders and maybe the Chargers too. Three of those teams looked the part. The Chargers, for chunks of that game, looked the part. The Bengals never did. And so if you want to fend off the naysayers who are like, you know what, I think last year was a fluke. It was a byproduct of, of luck and all that stuff. I need to see it. I, I, I'm not putting them – I'm not quite yet ready to put them with the Chiefs and the Bills and the Ravens and the Chargers, even though they went to the Super Bowl last year. Well, what you saw from those teams and what you saw from the Bengals was drastically different. But again, I just want to know when's the offensive line going to get to a point where we're pretty comfortable with the guys blocking for for Joe Burrow. I'm curious if when the Steelers, <clears throat> Chris Boswell kicked a 48 yard field goal with 11 minutes left in the game to take a 20 to 14 lead. Obviously, a lot of time left for the Bengals win. But did you throw <laughs> anything knowing you lost your bet of Steelers <laughs> under 17.5? It's the very first thing that came out of my mouth. Uh, no, no, it's not. It's the second thing that came out of my mouth. (laughs) Yep. Lost my, my imaginary, what was it? 15 bucks. Lost my imaginary 15 bucks. Uh, yeah. And it's, and it's interesting of, of all the different things that unfolded on Sunday for me, that was like item number 13 that I was thinking about after the game. But yes, I, in in real time, it was not lost on me that I lost my fake. All right, let's just take a quick break. Uh, Mo, you, we will uh, we will reconvene at between three and four o'clock at the uh, Moore Lion Lager House today, and and d- I think there's a good chance to have a, a good dis- longer discussion about offensive line. We just spent a lot of time talking about it here, so I don't want to go back mm. in on it a- anymore. But I, I th- you know the 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 middle ground of what the coaches and and those internally are feeling about the way the offensive line played. Um, is interesting up against the the perception of I think how people feel like the offensive line played because mm-hmm. uh, optimism, encouraged, uh, played good, all phrases used yeah. Uh, yeah. from internally. So I think you know where the the nuances of of why that exists for them and 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 how, what what does playing good need to look like for this offensive line? All good discussions to have, but first we got to get to our bets. We got to make mm. sure our uh, imaginary, totally fictional, not real money involved <laughs> at all uh, bets that we're doing every week with 20 units uh, that we can break up into two, uh, one Bengals, one NFL. Mo, do you want to start it off? Have you got it? Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to take 15 units. Joe Burrow will never have a four pick game again, not just mm. in 2022, again. If if we're still together, like in 2038, when we're talking about you're going you know, real long haul on this, yeah, thing. right. When we're talking about <laughs> like, all right, well, when's he when's he going to get his gold jacket? Uh, we're going to look back on that one time that we remember him throwing four picks in a game. I'm get, and and I'm like, you know, sometimes you get like a cheap hail mary or something like that that counts against. Uh, he's never going to have a four pick game again. I mean, look, yes, the pass blocking issues were what they were, or or maybe they weren't. I I, I don't know. Uh, Joe wasn't good. That was as bad as I think Joe's ever going to play. And he still was a PAT away from having delivered in a clutch and 
put his team down the field 60 yards in a buck 27 uh, and, and engineered a game-winning drive. But I'm going to guess he never has a four-pick game again. That's 15 what, what the line would be what, – what, what would the Vegas line be on that ever for the rest of his career? Would, would that be even money? Or would that be you'd, you'd probably you'd probably get odds on that. I'm gonna get I plus think. odds on that. Yeah, you get you get, get three to odds. three to one. I mean, four is a lot of picks. It, I mm-hmm. but it, his career will be long. So what do, Did, what would what would you put that at? Where would you handicap that, Jay? I, I would put it about even money, but it it's almost it, it's a lose lose proposition because we're going to award a winner at the end of this year. You can't win money on that bet at, by the end of this year. So all you can mm. do is lose money if he does have a four pick game. So what would it be then? And then let's let's set the line for the rest of this year. Then uh, the rest of this I'm not, year, I mean, I'm not going to give you odds. I think you're on you're on you're a negative, but I, I'll give you you know what maybe negative. I'm going to go minus two twenty five. Joe Burrow doesn't have a four pick game this season. How about that? Another one. I would have gone even higher, closer to minus 300. Okay. I'll still buy it. All right. He's buying it at minus 300, taking Jay's money. Uh, uh, And then you can see you've got another fiver left. Yeah, I'm trying to make this Mitchell Wilcox related. Uh, (laughs) It has to be non-Bengal related. (laughs) Well, I mean, NFL. So I felt – I mean, I feel bad because Mitchell Wilcox could, like, end up being the greatest uh, tight end in the history of the Cincinnati Bengals. (laughs) And he's always going to be remembered for being the backup long snapper uh, in the season opener. And it, it just, it, it not going and not going so well. Uh, so here's my thing. Bengals are playing the Cowboys this week. Mike McCarthy to be the first coach fired. That's my $5 bet. There in you lieu go. Of anything, in lieu of anything Mitchell Wilcox related. I mean, he just watching that game on Sunday night, it felt like dead coach walking. Now it's Cooper rush. You got Jerry Jones calling his press conference. The coach is up there. Don't even know his quarterback's got a bum thumb. Jerry's already telling people. Uh, Sean Payton's lurking. I saw, I think it was in the Dallas Morning News, they had a really cool um, uh, illustration on the front of the sports page, and it was Cowboys going up, Cowboys going down, the Lombardi trophies gathering cobwebs, and like Sean Payton just sort of lingering in the background. I just watched that on <laughs> Sunday, and I'm like, you know what? They may can him before game one. Maybe they can him after game or after game one. Maybe they can him after game two. But since they're playing the Cowboys this week, uh, my five dollars is because you could take you could take odds on this man. First coach to be fired this year. I'm going to go uh, Mike McCarthy. Uh, what do you guys? They're bad, man. They're awful. Bad. No, I, I'm with you. Good. He was he was definitely high up on the list. I mean, yeah, yeah. he's second. He was he was a plus six hundred at first. second. We can keep it at plus six hundred. Yeah, we'll give you that. Although at this point, we probably should be chopped in half. But we'll get since we kind of we kind of hosed you on the last one. We'll give you this. Yeah. One. Well, that's okay, that's the thing. So I think the Bengals are going to win on Sunday, and then those odds. If he doesn't get fired, those odds are going to come down. I should have bought it before week one, but. Again, watching that on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, he just had this look on his face. They do in-game interviews now, uh, like the NBA does. And Melissa Stark, Mike McCarthy was looking at her like, you have a car running. Like, can I <laughs> I could be at like Dallas's best barbecue shack by the fourth quarter? I mean, he yeah. just he just looked like, what am I doing here? I'm gonna get whacked. Peyton's gonna be the coach. I'm like quarterback's got a busted thumb. So plus six hundred, yeah, I'll gladly take that. Uh Jay, what do you got? All right, I'm, I'm I'm in that vein for my my Bengals related bet. I'm only going to put five on this. I'm going for some value here, and really, I thought it would be higher, but I'll still take it's plus eleven hundred for the Bengals to win by shutout. 
this week. Wow. And wow. The Cowboys only scored three last week with Dak for most of the game. The Bengals defense looked really good. Um, I just I, I it's been a while since they've had a shutout, but that's why I'm only going to put five on it with the, with a chance to win 55. Um, that'll be my Bengals related bet. Going to throw I'm, I'm in the lead, by the way. I'm the only one that won a bet last week, although both the Pauls were <laughs> futures. But I, I did win on the Baker Mayfield over 219 and a half passing yards. So I'm going to go maybe the polar opposite of Baker Mayfield and go with a Patrick Mahomes bet this week. He is uh, plus 105 to go over half an interception. Uh, Chargers had three interceptions last week. They intercepted Mahomes three times last year. I think he I think he throws at least one Thursday night. So I'm going to I'm going to put 15 on on Mahomes throwing at least one interception. Yeah, rough. Go ahead. I was gonna. I was. Can I see if I can get this right? Last shutout was the Manziel game. Yeah. 14, 30, 30 to nothing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. There it is. Walls <laughs> Gilberry. Uh, I, I'm going to. Uh, first of all, tough, tough Sunday for Doug Peterson, winning coach of the year. Uh, rough start on that one. But you know what? Jags were feisty. They were in it with the Commanders. So maybe there's maybe there's there's still hope. Uh, I'm gonna for this weekend just gonna take I'm just gonna do a simple under on on Bengals Cowboys Cowboys defense very good Bengals defense very good people's the under is 43 and a half so I'm gonna go with a with a 15 unit on the on the 43 okay. and a half under and uh, I'm gonna say for the other five I'm gonna Seahawks are getting nine and a half at the Niners I'm not I mean I'm I'm not saying it. Geno Smith looked certainly serviceable last night against a really good Denver defense. The 49ers looked poor and now uh, in Chicago, and now all of a sudden a nine and a half spot uh, between those two teams. I don't know that I view that that way, so I'll go ahead and take Seahawks to uh, cover the nine and a half straight up. I like that one. Yep. Uh, so that's that's what we've got for our fictional, totally for entertainment only uh, <laughs> segment. Um Mo, I look forward to seeing you this afternoon between three and four at Moreline Logger House. Maybe I'm going to have that uh, the bread pudding today. I think I might. Here's what I want to know: Will what? I get any credit for gamely battling through this, holding this 1972 handheld microphone? Because no. <laughs> I left my professional one at uh, 50 West last week. That you're you going to deliver did. to me. You did. You as we were getting ready to leave, it was just sitting there by its lonesome on the table. But don't worry, <laughs> I I will ret- I have it and will return it to you this afternoon so you can be back in the you know the I mean, comp- look at this thing you know yeah I don't I, I, I actually don't even think it's on. I mean, it's it, it feels like <laughs> like Monty Hall used this on Let's Make a Deal in 1974. I, mean, I think it's is, actually it's probably from like your 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 daughter's play stuff, and it's totally not real. But you just need to hold it just for the comfort <laughs> of making it feel like you have a microphone. It doesn't play Frozen songs, so it's not hers. <laughs> we do we do have that device around here somewhere. Oh, I have the full karaoke machine at my house. Okay, oh, that God, plays. Oh, you can you they make you Bluetooth it in, but it's like the it plays the frozen sounds as it starts it up and everything else. It's a whole thing. I can drop it off at your house. I'd love for you to have it. Hard pass. We're good. All right. Talk to you later. See you this afternoon. <laughs> See you guys. Thanks. Thanks, Mo. All right. Great to have uh, Mo Egger with us, joining us. And, uh, you know, there's a I, – I, you know, I, I, I think there is a, a really good conversation about what's happening with this offensive line that they're having mm-hmm. internally right now. 
I think that there are probably very heated debates about whether that offensive line is as bad offensively they think it is, or maybe not so bad, or where it actually lands. And uh, and I think that's for a lot of people to judge. But I think you're you're more going to continue to judge it over what we see the next couple of days. Dallas is not going to be any let up. You're not all of a sudden going to go to Dallas and be like, oh, what a reprieve. Um, and the same thing for the Jets. Carl Lawson waits in the wings, right? Um, it, it, that's what this league is. So it's, we're going to find out. We're going to find out if it's BS and false hope off some of the uh, the deeper look of the way things transpired or if it really was. Hey, maybe it really wasn't that bad um, when you look closer. Uh, we, we, that's the beauty of the NFL. We all get to learn together as it plays out. One thing I think was underrated that um, that stood out was – was how good Joe looked running the ball and, and yeah. getting out of pressure. And, and that's another thing that can, as long as that threat's there, it can slow down the defensive pass rush just a little. If, if they're worried about him doing that, it would have 47 yards. Um, so that I thought, you know, he may not have thrown the ball as well as, as what we're used to seeing, but I, I thought that was a really good sign because um, it, it did look like that was, kind of taken back last year. Um, he did have that uh, the, the memorable run where he jumped up and pointed to the first down in the, in the game against the Titans. But um, as far as volume, that that may have been the most rushing yards he's had in a game. I think he took off six times. And one was the zero-yard gain that you were referencing that got credited as a sack. Yeah, I mean, the long run that he has is a critical play in the game um, mm-hmm. late in the fourth quarter. And so, I mean, you, you know, that, that set them up. I, there's a... Uh, yeah, I thought his ability to run and make big plays had a big third down that he made by by about an inch. Uh, you know, I, there's um, I'm with you. I I think that part of it was certainly encouraging stuff to see uh, from Joe Burrow. Uh, let's talk a little bit about special teams real quick, since it's such a big deal. Is that they try to figure out how this thing goes forward? Although, you know, so Jay, you know, everybody said Darren Simmons sat down with everybody yesterday and kind of talked through what happened, what went wrong, and, and what's going on next. Let's bring you a quick little snippet of uh, Darren Simmons before we go forward into this topic. So on the extra point block, I know Drew's using the right wing, but he was on the left wing that time, and he said it was on him that he took a long step. Is he right? Um, I think that'd be probably pretty true. Um, you know, he's somebody that, that's, you know, blocked in a lot of critical field goals for us over time. I felt probably more comfortable having him over there versus uh, – somebody who hadn't done it for us before in Hayden. And so I moved Drew over, um, thinking that, uh, um, you know, that he would hold in there and knew exactly what we'd done. If he, did, he didn't block it exactly the way we wanted to have it blocked. Um, there's two guys over there. Um, he was not the only one at fault on that play for sure. What, was it anything to do with the velocity of the snap? No. Me? Okay, yeah. Zero. Okay. Yeah, the execution, the snap, the hold, you watch the kick, the kick's perfect. Um, Evan's timing is perfect. Um, that play had nothing to do with with the snap. I mean, it was uh, that was all about the protection. It wouldn't matter if Clark Harris would have been on that one. That ball would have been blocked. Yeah, it wouldn't matter if Clark Harris had had snapped that mm-hmm. one back there. And I thought that was interesting. It's Drew samples over there, um, and and ends up not getting enough of a piece, you know. But also, it's you know they're they're both supposed to be leaning in on on Minka Fitzpatrick over there on on the left side, and instead he comes through untouched and gets it and you know everyone wants to scream and yell about Mitchell Wilcox but nobody ever should have even talked about Mitchell Wilcox 
to be honest, mm-hmm. if they just block that up correctly, you never see any of the Mitchell Wilcox debacle. It's um, it's a total non-story other than saying, oh, who's going to be the long snapper next? And so I, I, it's kind of was lost a bit in the shuffle of all of it, yeah. of of Drew Sample ending up kind of being in that spot. But um, yeah, but those are those are the, that's just it. One step, right? One step can be the difference between a win and a loss. Yeah, I've I've talked. I know they put it on the scoreboard because that's how the Bengals didn't announce it. That's how we became aware that that yeah. Clark Harris was out. And I've talked to a, a number of people that were at the game that that had no idea. They didn't see that go up on the scoreboard. A lot of people didn't even realize that there was a, a new long snapper in there um, until after the game. So um, the 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 second one, the one in overtime, yes, that was the high snap. That one was problematic, and even. Darren said on that one that 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 it was still Kevin Huber should have handled the snap, should have spun the ball around, and, and Evan should have made the field goal. He was he was firmly in in Mitch Wilcox's corner and saying that that he did everything he was supposed to do. It wasn't an ideal second snap, obviously, but um, it's it's interesting because. I see Evan do this in pregame warmups where he's got that little automatic holder and he kicks and he he kicks field goals without a run up. He just stands there and swings his leg. And that's almost what he had to do on that game winner because, because the high snap threw off the the timing and he kind of, he came to a stop and almost came to a stop and then kicked it. And I, 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 I want to ask him why he does that. If it's for that reason, or if it's just kind of a get the leg loosened up and the, the muscle memory type of thing. Um, but it is interesting that I, I, something I've noticed where he'll do that and kick a field goal without any kind of run-up just from a standing position and uh, certainly could have come in handy if he'd have punched that. With very sh- 29 yards, I mean, like Evan said, he he should be able to make that with his left foot. There, Yeah, there's no doubt. So Cal Adamitis will come in now as the, uh, the long snapper, and theoretically this should not be an issue anymore. But you wonder, like the only, just so much of that stuff is – gosh, timing and the mental confidence that everything's going to be perfect in the right place every single time, and you wonder what this does to Evan McPherson going forward, although it should be noted, like, there was zero issues with any operation in all of camper preseason, and that was with Clark and Cal both taking their turns, uh, Drew Chrisman taking his mm-hmm. turn, holding with Kevin Huber, and Evan was was incredible. I mean, he didn't miss anything, um, it seemed like, and, and so I think – the thought is that this should just be a blip and be what it is, um, but you never you you never know. I mean, someone who's been so good in one little thing can maybe change the dynamic of how it's viewed. But uh, that's something that again that we'll monitor going forward. But I don't. There's 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 nothing. There's no reason to believe that Cal shouldn't be just fine. Again, five year starter, All American long snapper at Pitt. Um, no slouch did it really well in the preseason in camp without much issue. So I think there's, there's thought that this, this should be fine, but again, never done it in the game. So who knows? Yeah. I asked, I asked Clark Harris about that. Um, someone asked him what his message to, to Cal would be. And he said, just go out there and be confident. And I asked Clark, can you remember back 14 years? Can you remember your first game as a long snapper? Were you confident? And and he said that that he wasn't, and that the key there, he, he didn't say he wasn't confident, but he, he said he did have nerves, and he said the key is don't be overconfident. Don't act overconfident. He said the, the other team's going to sniff that out, that they are going to be in your ear, and we saw the Steelers doing that to Mitch Wilcox, talking in his ear, trying to rattle him. Um, he's like, 
at Cal's done this for five years. He did it in high school too. He's done it longer than that. He just needs to go out there and be confident in his abilities and do what he's been doing all through camp and, and just put the mental part of it aside. Yeah. I mean, I, what I enjoyed was, uh, the swarm of media surrounding Cal Adamitis in the uh, in the back room, back portion of the locker room yesterday. I'm trying to imagine what is the most, what is the highest number of media members that have ever spoken to Cal at the same time in a, in an interview setting, not in just a "Hey, we're just talking as you're hanging out" type deal like that. I mean, that had to have been maybe 10 times the most that's ever happened. I mean, there was, it was, it was everyone that was there because the locker room cleared out. Uh, this is a good transition into Arby's, our uh, any related Bengals inside extras and stories because hanging out in the locker room yesterday, you're sitting there, everyone comes out. So everybody comes in, fl- flocking in, all the players come out of the, the team meeting. And when at the same time the locker room opens, so they're and they're all leaving because it's Monday. Everyone's out of here um, at right around two ish, and so they all flock, move out. So the locker room is basically empty outside of a very intense uh, ping pong game involving Jermaine Pratt and a few others. Jermaine Pratt in like sweatpants and nothing else, no shoes, <laughs> no shirt. He looked like he was in like a kung fu movie. It was great, and he's just killing the ball. <laughs> I'm like this is great and so but while that's happening cal is still there and he's really the only storyline of anybody that's that's in there and so all the tv media that are there waiting for zach taylor to speak um go and and plus everybody else just surrounding cal adamitis no has any long snapper ever seen that kind of a gaggle i wonder yeah, well, I actually started to ask him that because at first there was a couple of us there and then the swarm came and I, I I started to say, is this the big and someone else jumped in with the question and it went in a different direction and I never, never went back and asked, but it had to have been. And it, it actually was weird because when we first walked in, Clark was there in his sling and we were talking to him and I saw Cal go in the in the lunchroom and I was thinking, oh, maybe he's going to grab some lunch and he's going to get out of here and we're not going to get a chance to talk to him. And I went and I looked and he was not in the lunchroom. And someone said, hey, he's he's back at his locker. And then that's when the scrum hit him. I mean, it, it had to have been 15, 16. I mean, there were TV cameras, reporters, and it was and nobody else to talk to. And uh, he, he stood there and answered all the questions. I, I kept waiting for him to to crack a joke or say something Clark like. And he never did. He played it straight down the middle. Yeah. Um, do you have any Arby's for me, Jay? Ironically, it involves Cal Adamitis from back in training camp. Okay. So it was, it was, I was in the media room still writing. Everybody was gone. That'll surprise you not at all. I was the last one out of there. And when the PR staff leaves, the door locks. And so I hear this tug on the door and it's locked. And I'm like, who's trying to get in? And I go and I open it and it's Cal Adamitis. And he says, um, is this where I come to get verified? <laughs> and I was like, um, actually it is um emily parker will take care of that for you but she's gone for the day and uh he said okay so then we just had you know a little chit chat and super nice guy um and so after i forgot about it until yesterday and uh i went and i looked and still not verified oh maybe now now, maybe now maybe now that he's the starting long snapper that'll happen for him uh ls1 as joe daneman put it uh you know um so mine is so we're the last couple of days uh have randomly seen 
either texts or Twitter blow up as people are like, hey, your face is on my TV. And I'm trying, I'm like, what is going on? Well, that's because our commercial, Jay, is airing across games this whole weekend. It has been rather jarring to see people continually send me screenshots of our face uh, up and the, the idea that there's a commercial about us uh, on Monday Night Football is uh, it's a it's a little nerve wracking to be honest. I, it's a, it's a little off putting. I don't I don't like that many that many people sing it, but I guess hey that that's good news good news for us, right? That uh, they hear that podcast growl and run that we had uh, last year. They kind of followed. It was sort of a the kind of, the commercial is based around Joe Burrow's uh, recovery and run of the Super Bowl, and they go through all our con- our content between stories and live rooms and podcasts that you all listen to, or whatever. Um, kind of on this commercial but it's it's very weird to have people sending me like what the hell is this on my screen <laughs> i actually uh my wife texted me last night said she was going to bed early so i'm driving home from the stadium uh, it's still the first half of the game so i was like well I'm, I'm gonna go to my local bar and grab a couple beers and some pizza and watch the game and see if the commercial comes on and see if anybody at the bar notices and says hey wait that's you um jay you will do anything to try to score a free drink yeah well such an angle you're taking there it it no one would have noticed because this is the type of people that were at the bar. They were arguing about the the Jamar Chase touchdown that wasn't and saying his foot was on the line. It doesn't matter where the ball is. And I was like, oh, my God, I just had to hold my tongue and not get into a discussion and say that is the dumbest thing I ever heard. That's the only thing that matters is where the ball is. So I doubt someone with that lack of awareness of football would have had the wherewithal to look at the screen and, and see my face there and then realize, hey, that's the guy on the other side of the bar. No. The highbrow level that we have here <laughs> on our podcast and here on they the internet on YouTube, they know that there's a certain, you know, we, we don't we don't have that kind of unknowledgeable fans here <laughs> listening to us. We we love all of our listeners. Uh that's a little bit of Arby's there for you. I, I got a question for you before we get into some run passer boot. And listener Q and A, and of course you have. I, I need this Bengal Steelers. I have no shame story. Um, <laughs> here's a question for you posed off of last night. What would you do if the Bengals were playing in Seattle? Evan McPherson from sixty four, or Burrow on fourth and five with the game on the line, as Denver had last night. Nathaniel Hackett opted to try to shove Brandon McManus out there from sixty four. Um, rather than let his $250 million quarterback try to gain five yards uh, with the game on the line at the end, what would you do? What should, what would the Bengals do in Seattle? It's a great question. Um, I, I would like to know I, how many field goals of 64 yards have been attempted and how many have been made. So what's that percentage and what's the NFL average on fourth and five? And just go straight with the number there and see what I think you go for it. I think you trust Joe Burrow. If if there if you're you're down and you only got one shot left, if if you don't have any time, then yeah, kick the field goal. But what they have, 36, 37 seconds. You've got time to get a first down and get closer to a much more manageable yeah. field goal. They had time I, they had timeouts and a lot of time if they would have used all it three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I try. I, I keep the ball in Burrow's hand. I I think that's a general rule anywhere. Don't take the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands. Um, but yeah, even for it. Evan McPherson's foot, 
for 64. I mean, yeah, it's a long one. It's it. He can, he's got the length, but it's just a matter. It's, you never know the, the way the wind whips around. Who knows? It's Seattle. Is it misty? In a road stadium. It's one thing to do it. You know, the conditions are perfect in your home stadium that, you know, like the back of your hand, but Mm -hmm. in a road stadium like Seattle, you only play uh, once every eight years. Right. Yeah, I to me that that's kind of the variable that would definitely push me over the edge. But it's different because there's so much confidence in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Bengals fans, man, they they would be in their stomachs would be in tatters with that decision. I love this guy and I love this guy. <laughs> I'm supposed to hate one of the decisions that's made. How can I do this? Uh, you know what a, I would do? And I asked Darren about this because what? Oh, it was fourth down. You couldn't do it. But if it was third and five, I, I would I would run a fake. And then if it doesn't work, then you you kick the field goal because they're never going to be expecting the fake. And as long as you've got time left, run the fake. Um, you're, you figure you're at least going to get back to the line of scrimmage and have just as long of a field goal. Maybe even let Joe Burrow be the holder and then run the fake. Listen, you talk about fireable offenses. <laughs> Jay's out here trying to run questionable fake field goals that have never been run before in the most high leverage spots when he doesn't even care about get uh, I, that it's is third down is house money. It's not to house lose. money. That play can go so wrong. You're just having <laughs> some rando dude run a fake. Anything can happen on that play. That is that. Is a fireable offense and a bad decision. <laughs> we talk about bad coaching decisions. Thank God that you are in the booth, sitting next to me, and not down on the field having to uh, to make calls on that one. Um, Jay, we had a run passer boot. Uh, what was your run pass? You have a run passer boot here on uh, with things that are least likely to happen again. Yeah, a lot of bad things happen Sunday. Um, Bengals fans hope they all get fixed and, and we don't see that again but of these three things which is least likely to repeat itself in 2022 evan mcpherson misses two kicks joe burrow throws at least three interceptions or the o-line gives up at least seven sacks okay so uh least likely to happen uh you know it's hard to say least likely to happen in seven sacks because we saw sack mm. games, and this is not this was not a career high sacks against Joe Burrow. Um, it has happened before. Super Bowl seven, uh, yeah, and then two games Tennessee. prior to that in <laughs> Tennessee. That was with a healthy offensive line. We haven't even gotten into the idea of injuries out sending guys like Jackson Carmen at all out there. So. I think seven sacks is probably the most likely to happen. So I guess I'm booting seven sacks. Um, I, I, you know, I think you could see McPherson missing two field goals. I mean, if you had a couple, I think they're going to trot him out for long ones again. He, right. he, he's money, but I mean, you know, you're you're going to miss from fifty plus occasionally, and and so I. I I just don't think I I thought before the year started that Burrow was going to be great at taking care of the ball. Despite him almost throwing as many interceptions as I had predicted for the entire season uh, on opening day, I still don't think we're going to see anything remotely close to that. So I would say least likely that I'm going to run with would be Burrow throwing three or more picks again. Some people think he did throw five. Yeah, depending on how you view that fumble, yeah. 
the officials never threw the beanbag to indicate a fumble. Um, so they never reviewed it. It was it was moot because they picked it out of the air. But that that easily could have been ruled an interception instead of a fumble. Um, I'm with you. Same same order. Although if if I said it was Burrow throws two or more interceptions in a game as opposed to three, do, do you lean that way? I think as, we'll see as two. opposed yeah, to McPherson. I, I think we'll see. I think we'll see two again. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because that that makes it hard. Is it is it Burrow throwing two picks or is it McPherson missing two kicks? I, you you could see either of those being the, the least likely. Yeah, no, I I would say Burrow's more likely to throw two picks than McPherson missed mm. two field goals. Um, uh, all right. So Jay, you've got a, we got one more run pass or boot. Uh, yeah, um, to get to what what's going to happen first in twenty twenty two that the Bengals rebound from their minus five turnover differential to get back to even or better. Joe Burrow climbs back to reach a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. And he could throw three touchdowns next week, three against the Jets without a pick. And there he is. He's at eight. He's at eight to four and he's back at two to one. Or the third one, the Bengals own sole possession of first place in the AFC North. Well, I mean, the turnover, different <laughs> turnover differential thing's going to take some time. Uh, you know, I, 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 will it, could they, could they pick off Cooper rush? Cooper rush? Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe I, you're already down five. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to say that they're going to, I'm going to run with the burrow two to one touchdown to interception. I mean, when he gets hot, like I just feel like he's going to turn, turn the, the, the switches on that pretty quickly. We don't know how long it's going to take for, sole possession of first place to happen i mean baltimore look, looks good to get to get past everybody i mean grant it's own one i'm not i'm not saying that won't happen but mm-hmm. i just i don't know I, I i think i'm gonna go with burrow the burrow two to one touchdown interception ratio and i'm gonna pass on sole possession of first place and boot positive turnover differential it just takes a lot of time to make that up yeah i i i'll, I'll go the opposite way i'll I do think Burrow is my run. Um, I'll go the the turnover differential. I mean, you're talking about Cooper Rush and Joe Flacco the next two weeks. Um, and then, who knows, Tua in, in week four. Uh, the way this defense was was so much of a ball hawk at, ball hawking defense in the playoffs, um, I could see that being more likely. I, again, I'm not saying they won't get back into first place or sole possession of it at any point. But for that to be the first thing to happen, I'm, I'm going to boot that one because that is even being one game behind, you're technically two behind everybody because being tied for first doesn't count. You have to be up there by yourself. So the earliest it could feasibly happen is week three. Um, so I'll boot that one. Uh, all right, let's uh, move on quickly and uh, go into some questions here from the youtube folks so thanks everybody that has been watching on youtube appreciate you as always uh like subscribe rate all those things we appreciate you uh hopping on we've just kind of started this channel at the beginning of this year and it's been nice to see so many people enjoying it and and hopping in uh let's go to this first question here from bobby moore bobby moore a question run defense was stout any numbers on which guys had the biggest impact curious how carter and Usai played and others in the box who separated well uh the the top of the list dj reader played great and if you're and if you're talking about um you know a defense 
playing well against the Bengals defense, playing well against the run, you're probably talking about DJ Reader having a great game because that's usually where it always starts. He's just so good there. Uh, he was great on every level. He had a couple of stops, a couple of tackles. He just he was plugging the hole every time. I mean, they only, you know, there was only really about twenty runs thrown at them at, at most. And and so and so much of what the Steelers were doing was side to side with all the jets and everything motion and stuff like that. They were deathly afraid of just handing the ball to Najee Harris up the middle. It was like just they just didn't want to do it, and probably because it was never successful when they did try to do it. But I would start with Reader, and uh, I'd also give a tip of the cap to Logan Wilson, just because he did, you know, he did a really good job of chasing down all that side to side stuff, uh, and that helped him have a, have a really nice day. Yeah, as 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 far as the Zach Carter and Osai part of the the, the question, I they it was it I would say incomplete. I mean, they both only played eleven sacks. That none of them really, neither of them made a any a big splash play or made any huge air that I remember. So we're just going to need to see those guys play a little more, but um, definitely, definitely a, a great sign with, with the way that they're, they're continuing to, to defend the run because that, that had to have been Pittsburgh's mindset coming in with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. And um, it's just been a continuation. You saw it in the Super Bowl the way they completely shut down the Rams run, shut down an injured, or a, a hobbled Derrick Henry in the playoffs. Um, it is a passing league now, but if, if you can still take the other team's run game away, you, you do yourself a great service. No doubt. Uh, also, honorable mention for sure, Sam Hubbard, who had a couple of really nice plays, in particular setting the edge as they were trying to run stuff around where he might not got a tackle or any credit for it, but any they were trying to run something mm-hmm. around those outside edges, and Hubbard was just having none of it all day, which is you know kind of his calling card. PF was really PFF was really down on Hubbard too. His grade was really low. I was I was really surprised to see that he was at the bottom of the Bengals' defensive players. Well, I mean. The offsides play that ends up giving him the free play. Uh, missed a tackle or two. And miss, yeah, and a couple missed. You end up, you know, get those are big. Those are big negatives uh, mm. as as well. Um, let's go. Let's see. Let's go. Next question with, um, gaming dad of two. Uh, any surprise that the Bengals didn't extend Von Bell right before the season? Do you think this may get done during the offseason? I feel like we need to have him back there with Zach Hill next year. I am I'm not gonna say surprised, but I thought the, I, I I would have been not stunned at all no. if if they would have announced that last week. Like I, I was kind of almost, I wouldn't say waiting for it, but I was keeping an eye out for that potentially being something that would come down to the pike. So but I also understand let Von Bell go have another good season. He's probably a guy you feel like you can get in March. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if he likes it here, wants to stay here, you can, you know, pay him with more information in front of you. And and maybe they're still waiting. You know, they just want to get the Burrow thing away before they go allocating any more future money at this point. Not exactly sure, you know, their view on that other than I know they value him and and certainly did view him at the top of the list of people they consider extending. Yeah. And that's I think that is the big part of it is is they're they're counting every dollar right now and they're just going to wait and see what what Joe commands and and then let the dominoes fall after that. 
And I think they know that there's not going to be some crazy bidding war for Von Bell. He turns 28 um, in December, and um, he 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 is such an inter- a key piece of this defense, and he's a captain three years in a row. Um, I I think they're kind of banking on the fact that those that that they can match whatever the going rate will be and just re-sign him in in March. Uh let's go let's go with one more here and let's go with Carson Boyle's thoughts of the lack of under center play action. I figured last year Joe didn't trust the line, but this year he seemed to have a lot more faith holding the ball, not checking his shoulder. I think it flips. Uh you know, uh, a lot of discussion about them you know, under center, handing it off and, you know, not really play action, trying to throw off that. I I think that's something that they're certainly going to have to try to do more of, but I, I just don't think Burrow loves throwing out of that. He doesn't love turning his back to the defense, you know? I mean, he's so good at processing out of the shotgun and everything like that. I mean, they can't become predictable there, and that's certainly going to be something to watch. Was that circumstantial to this week? Uh, should it, I? I think that's a. It was. There should have been more play action coming off of those plays, without question. Uh, but I think as a whole, they're always they're going to want that to shade to a heavier percentage of those plays end up being runs. Uh, but they they need to be less predictable for sure. Uh, in and when it comes to play action versus handing the ball off and at, from under center. Yeah. I mean, it, you're, you're right. that It's not something that Joe likes to do. And then you remember back last year, he's coming off the knee injury. I remember early when he came back in OTAs, they didn't even have him practicing any handoffs because you just, any, uh, any kind of miscommunication and the, the, the back and the, the quarterback run into each other and anything can happen there with the, the knee, a slip and the knee kind of goes the wrong way. Um, I, I'm curious. Does, when when they run motion, if they're in the pistol, the shotgun, and they run motion, and he he fakes a jet sweep. Does that count as play action? You fake a handoff as a to a receiver coming across, or does it have to be the standard under center, or even even if you're in shotgun and you you fake the handoff? I mean that those are other ways to to get play action to at least keep. Oh, the I'd defense be saying throwing honest. from under center. I mean, right. whether when they're under center, are they throwing it? You know, yeah. and it's like uh, no. You know, not not often, uh, mm-hmm. and so I. However, it's not. I don't think it's necessarily about play action specifically because yeah, they do a lot of they do play action out of shotgun and stuff like that all the time. I think it's just a matter of when they're under center being less predictable, where everyone sees mm-hmm. okay they're under center, everybody up to the line, and and maybe that's what they're waiting for. Maybe they're waiting to see more people come up and crowd the line so that they and they can call on the play action or whatever as an audible or just or or maybe he's just looking at numbers to run it. I mean it's 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 something worth I think it's a topic that we'll be discussing probably in the this week or soon with with Burrow and and more with Brian Callahan, things like that, Zach Taylor, um, along those lines, because um I'm sure there's a lot of nuance there and Burrow's always just trying to I mean he's always free to check to whatever he wants to and absolutely of course they have a play action check off every run play that they have at the line uh, mm-hmm. under center so either they liked the numbers they were seeing even though it wasn't successful um or 
Burrow just didn't want to be <laughs> checking to his own number, th- throwing out of that. It's hard to know, but uh, uh, those are numbers that they look very closely at and, and try to stay away from being too predictable with. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that change in Dallas or New York in the near future. Uh, all right, Jay. That, thanks, everybody, for ad- dropping questions into the comments and yeah. just commenting down there. Always good to uh, always good to see come through, especially when you guys say nice things. Oh, and Coach Shed talking about <laughs> buying us a beer, which I'm all which I'm all always into. Uh, you, you know, anybody wants to buy me a beer, I'll pretty much go just about anywhere. <laughs> um, all right. Speaking of Jay, uh, we said this this segment should be called. Quote, I have no shame because that's actual <laughs> words you said yesterday when discussing some of these stories. So you have no shame. Tell me your Bengals Steelers story. Okay, so it was 2006. It was uh, it was New Year's Eve. It was the week after the, the botch snap in Denver where they could have clinched the playoffs. So they had a chance to clinch the playoffs against the Steelers in the season finale. And my friend Hal and I went to the game. It was supposed to rain all day, and it did. And so – Rainy in December, it's always chilly. So we went we went pretty hard at the tailgate. And uh, I, I purposely brought plastic Bud Light 16-ounce bottles to the tailgate with the plan to sneak a couple in because that's what they sell in the stadium. So uh, I walk into the stadium uh, feeling no pain. And what I had done, I had a coat on and I stuck a beer in the sleeve of each of my each each sleeve of my coat and back then they kind of uh just kind of frisked you as you went through security before you got actually to the gate so i'm walking up to get frisked and i throw my hands up in the air like yeah frisk me and boom boom both beers fall out (laughs) (laughs) totally busted so they're like uh and i just walked on through so then we get in the game and no surprise here we sneak into the club level and (laughs) the, the the game goes overtime and i go out uh, to get a, a beer. I guess they don't do last call when you're in the club section. So I go out, I get a beer, I come back and I'm like, where did Hal go? And so I watch overtime. The, the Steelers win it on a walk off long touchdown pass from Ben. To, uh, I think it was Heinz Ward. Might've been Santonio San Holmes. The, the um, last game of 2006. That was San yeah. Antonio Holmes. Yeah. That was, yeah. Uh, San Antonio Holmes. Hmm. That was, like, uh, that was the week after the long snapper debacle yes, in, Denver in Denver to yes. bring us full circle here with Both- Brad St. Louis. Either one of those games would have sent him to the playoffs. And so I'm sitting there in the rain, fairly hammered, um, wondering where my friend Hal went. And turns out I I was so hammered, I went to the wrong section because they weren't really our seats. And so he was sitting one aisle over from me, wondering where I am. And I'm sitting the next aisle over wondering where he is. And we uh, we meet back up and got a ride back to his house, rallied and and had a proper New Year's Eve. <laughs> I love it. Uh no, you have no shame and uh and and I, I enjoy every minute of this. Uh I, and of course you had the, exactly the the right beers that you needed and end up in the clubs. Although I, I don't know how pa- that you know what those were pretty full stadiums back in those days. That had yeah. to have been a little bit of a challenge to get into the club level. Usually there's no entrance you can't sneak into, uh, yeah. especially at a half empty Bengals game. But the 06 season, now big game to close the year. I'm guessing yeah. that that might have been one of your more challenging sneaks. Yeah, Steelers and playoffs on the line. I, I it, it actually wasn't that. I'm not gonna. I, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. I don't want to say how I got in there, but it it, it, it wasn't that. It, it was more challenging to get how in. I had a way to get in, but. It, I was able to sneak Hal in. Why can't you say that? You have no shame. Okay. So back then I was writing for Bengals Report, 
And oh, I had season no, credentials, no, but Bengals Report, Bengals Report only published every other week. So that was a week we weren't publishing. So I used my press pass to get into the club level. And then once mm. I was in there, I asked, I grabbed somebody else's club ticket, went out and got Hal and then brought him in. You shouldn't have said that. I uh, know. PJ is going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, uh, for listening to this week's edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, we, of course, uh, will be back on Thursday. We will uh, be talking with our good friends in Dallas. Jay, you're, you're about to have that convo here in a little bit, aren't you? I am. I'm going to talk to John Machada and uh, see what's going on. Uh, all things non-Dak Prescott, but of course, we'll talk Dak Prescott, too. Oh, the sky is a fallen in Dallas. There is <laughs> sure zero is. question uh, about that. So look forward to hearing from him on Thursday, plus more from inside the locker room and everything we gather over the next couple of days down at Paycor Stadium. So thanks, everybody, for listening or watching, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody. Mm-hmm.